Welcome to On the Bubble Podcast, episode 12. I'm your host, Sebastian J. Ueda, and with me is my co-host, Yuki Lee Bender. In this week's episode, we are going to give you an update and summary of our views on the Uprising draft format to help you prepare for Worlds or a local armory draft. In this episode, we will talk about cards that have under or overperformed our expectations, our thoughts on how to approach the draft format, and the key takeaways from the format. But before we go into any of that, how was your week, Yuki? Yeah, my week's been pretty good. I've been kind of getting a little bit more testing in leading up to Worlds, mostly just pretty big picture stuff right now, like trying to figure out how exactly all the different variants of um, of Oldham and Fi and Icelander all kind of line up against each other, because I feel like there's like multiple versions of those decks. And most people agree that those are kind of like three of the more popular decks, but it kind of depends on who you talk to and which version of the deck and how they're playing it. So there's, there's a lot of factors and just kind of trying to figure that out right now. That seems fair. Do you have any like... Um decks that you want to start talking about now in cc before we move on to draft i guess so yeah really briefly i think phi i'm i'm not sure i completely buy is as good as some people seem to think he is um i feel like the at least the attack based icelander is like very reasonable in defy uh, probably a little bit favored and then i feel like old him if they're on a more assertive list is also pretty good against phi uh, it's just like the pure blockout fatigue that's not really going to be successful there. But that's not really how Oldham's being built recently either. So yeah, I don't really buy that Fi is quite as good. Uh, I think he might be one of the better aggro decks, but I still think he's like kind of not as good to Ice and Oldham. And honestly, I'm not convinced about Icelander's matchup into Oldham. I think Oldham might be good into Icelander, but we'll, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, then one last question would be, what do you think is going to win the battle hardened? next weekend hmm. i wonder if it's gonna be an oldham i feel like it might be an oldham yeah i got a feeling oldham oldham's gonna win i think oldham is good and people have kind of temporarily moved away but i think the reality is that he's still very good what you're telling me is oldham's gonna win this battle hearted i'm gonna be psy playing oldham at worlds now maybe maybe uh, sounds awful there's a lot of decks that could win but you know Okay, so let's just move on to some updates that we have about the channel, or in general. Yeah, so number one, um, LSS was kind enough to uh, give us a spoiler card that we'll be sharing on the YouTube channel. So we'll have a short video. Um, that spoiler will be on Tuesday, November 1st. So we're part of the, the spoiler season, and we have to wait until then. Um, I was hoping to maybe tell you something like, very small about the card on this episode, but um, it turns out that it's just stuck at the warehouse right now. So I'm sure it'll get here eventually, but yeah, just taking a little bit longer than expected. Okay, okay, that's fine. Maybe next week. Maybe next week you might have like a pre-preview. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to shout out was I've, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I've heard about draftfab.com being integrated with Talisher. I've kind of used them both independently. So I think essentially how it works is um, if you want to draft online, you can use draftfab.com to simulate packs and a booster draft. Um, you do need people for this. So I don't think it's like integrated with matchmaking into Talisher. So you need like eight people or six people if you want to do a six person draft. But you can do that on draftfab.com and then import those decks into Talisher and play them. So it just 
pretty cool option if anybody is wanting to practice online for worlds or, or just for fun. Yeah, and just for those who don't know, talishar.net is a um, platform to play fab. It's a browser-based platform, so if you have an internet connection, you can you can play fab. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's just move on to our main topic here. And we're just going to talk about the overperformers and underperformers of this format. We're going to talk about individual cards mostly. Uh, do you want to start it off, Yuki? Sure. Um, so the first one that we have on here is Blue Sigil of Protection, um, particularly in Icelander. Um, I think the thing to recognize here is that Aether Hail is already a great card doing two damage and then three arcane. Uh, Blue Sigil of Protection, same rate, right? It stops two and then does three. Um, I will say that Sigil of Protection not being a three block and also not being an ice card for fusing or giving frostbites does make it a fair bit worse than Aether than, than Aether Hail. But that being said, Sigil of Protection is still just like very solid and a card I'm pretty happy to pick and you often get late. Yeah, and just like a uh, definition of overperformers and underperformers, we're considering a card an overperformer when it performs better than what we think that the general population thinks. So Blue Sigil of Protection, for example, isn't better than, like, as she said, Aether Hail um, or, like, cards like Frosting. But how people perceive Blue Sigil of Protection, like, that card can come around, like, 13th pick, 12th pick easily, but we think it shouldn't go that late, and maybe you want to pick it up a little bit earlier and that might be a spot where that could improve your game. And that's what we're going to consider an overperformer. Just under your general, whatever you evaluated it as, I think it's higher than what we think the general population evaluates it at. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on, uh, I think the next card to talk about is Red Flex. So I think Red Flex is really strong. Uh, it is a pseudo-popper. Um, it does. You do need to uh, put more resources into it. But even then, like just being able to pop an Andrew Meister is very powerful. But what's better about this card is just like on offense, a zero for four is just a good rate on its card. So like its worst case scenario is just very good. And in the corner cases, it's just even better. So I think this card should be picked a little bit more highly than what's currently being picked. I think we can see these cards at like maybe even like as late as pick five, pick six right now. And being a generic, I think it has more value than that. Because like you often expect to play it as a four for zero, like like you said, Jay. But just like sometimes even your opponent doesn't hit you that hard and you have two cards and you can't like you can't always spend two cards well as every class, but flex is just like, yeah, I can do two cards to do six, so it's like on rate, you know. Um or it can be a four for zero, which is just above rate. So like having the flexibility to do either or it's kinda it's kind of like Anathos and Bravo, right? Like you can do one card to do four, or you can do two cards to do six, and like being that that flexibility is just so good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just it's really funny. It's called flex. Yeah, it's because it's flexible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's just move on to the next card. So next card is Dust Up. Oh, uh, you wrote red and blue. Why not the yellow one? The yellow is okay. Yellow's okay. Does it attack for three yellow? Yeah, yellow attacks for three. So I don't like that it doesn't hit a breakpoint. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about the blue one? 
I, the red, I think the red one's pretty self-explanatory. It hits a breakpoint, blocks for three, uh, threatens uh, Aether, Aether Wing. No, Ashwing. Aether Ash, Aether Ashwing. Yeah, threatens an Aether and Ashwing. But why do you think the blue one's good? So I've kind of joked before that I think red dust-up is kind of like uh, Snatch. I think the on-hit's like arguably slightly worse, but an Aether Ashwing is like, pretty real value like that that's a pretty decent on hit and it just kind of almost feels like you like almost get a card out of the on hit it's like not quite but it's close i just think that's really good and then i like the blue because sometimes in droma you can get these awkward hands where like you have like a red sweeping blows but you don't have anything else big to do after it and you can't really justify keeping two cards to swing for three and in those spots, just having like a blue, like sometimes you might have like a several blue hand and just being able to play a card that is a one card hand that kind of demands a card from them. Like if it doesn't, you get like pretty good value out of that blue is just really nice. Um, the yellow is fine, but I just I just think since it's not a blue and it doesn't hit a break point, it's kind of just not quite as good as the yellow. Hmm, that's fair. That's all fair. Okay, next card we have is Blue Sift and Critical Strike. I guess the common factor on these cards is the three block value on this. Uh, what about the other colors then? Why does it have to be blue? I guess it doesn't have to be. I think Critical Strike in particular is quite a decent red or yellow. It's just an on-rate card um, that blocks three. But I think the big thing is just them being generic and blocking three and um, Critical Strike in particular being a pretty real card. Yeah, I think the block threes in this format's very strong. Just like being able to block, I think just having your cards all block for three, typically generics do only block for two, but Critical Strike in particular is a common that blocks for three, and Sift is probably an undervalued card that blocks for three, and just Essentially, if you just think of this card as a three block, keep in mind that like a three block is literally fifty percent more than a two block. So you're getting like a whole like third of a card out of it, essentially. Just compare like two like three two blocks blocks for six, but two three blocks blocks for six. You can save a whole card if more of your hand is three blocks than two blocks. If you need to block out, like it's. It's a it's a real difference. Like it ends up being a card, and even might end up being like two or three cards through the course of the game. Three blocks is very good in this format. But uh, talking about blocks, let's talk about Blue Brother in Arms as well. I like this one. Um, I think particularly in Icelander because the four power is actually pretty good at killing dragons. Like a lot of the dragons you care about, like Miragai, Thamai. Chrome is smaller, but it kills it. Um, just like the four kills a lot of things. Um, and you can also pretty easily find a spot to have an extra resource floating and just get a four block out of this, which is really strong. Like if you have like a zero, like a frosting, and then you waning moon, you have one floating, and you just be like, oh, I'm just going to use this in block four. Or you can do like an ice bolt for three and then use your one floating and, and not waning moon at all and save a card there. So. I think that that flexibility is just really, really premium, and I'm pretty happy. Like I'm, I actively kind of want two of these in my deck. Yeah, I I don't know if this card is undervalued though. I think people are correctly assessing that this card is good. I don't think I've seen Blue Brother in Arms in packs recently, at least at least in Vancouver. Mm. Not sure about the other metas, but 
Yeah, or maybe it's just because Yuki's been pecking them. That might be why. <laughs> okay, I, I guess that would make sense if if we'll move on for now. Uh, the next card I have on the list is a uh, Cinder Skin Devotion, uh, specifically in the blue color. Uh, as we said with the blue sifting critical strike, the three blocks is very important in this format, and I think you want your blues and Phi to be three blocks. And Cinder Skin Devotion is basically the perfect card for it. Lava Vein Loyalty as well, uh, but I think just like having that one extra power, even though you do need to pitch. Uh, if you do get into the late game situation, just having that one extra power can mean the difference of winning and losing. And if your hand's four blues, um, going down to your like second cycle, essentially, it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference being able to go like t- attack for two with Cinder Skin, Ember Blade for three, uh, attack with something else, and then, you know, Phoenix Flame for one. It's just like two is a big difference between one, so... I think Cinder Skin Devotion is a little bit better than Lava Vein Loyalty, but I feel like people are picking Lava Vein Loyalty over Cinder Skin Devotion right now. What do you think, Yuki? Yeah, I think I agree, maybe particularly at blue. I think Lava Vein and red probably edges out Cinder Skin for me, and I don't really love yellow of either of them, but. Yeah, I don't like red or yellow on both Lava Vein or Cinder Skin, honestly. But yeah. I think bl- exactly blue Cinder Skin versus blue Lava Vein loyalty, I think I like Cinder Skin Devotion a little bit better. It's not really like we get to pick all the time between those two cards, um, but I think people right now undervalue Cinder Skin Devotion, and I think which is why I think it's an overperformer, where I think it's a lot better than what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, next card on the list is... Arctic Incarceration. Is that right? Yeah, Incarceration. Incarceration. Yeah, this card's in red. Super sweet and Icelander. Um, I think this card's almost undervalued. This card just stops the whole five turn sometimes. Like, if they if the five player doesn't have two blues, their turn just essentially just ends, right? Like they have to pitch a blue, and if their hand is like red, 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 blue then they have to pitch their blue just to beat the Arctic Incarceration. And then they have three reds if one of them costs one. Unless they are all, what's it called? Leg taps? No, not leg taps. Uh, other one. Head jabs. Head jabs. Yeah, unless they're all head jabs, their turn essentially bricks out because then they have to pitch a red to start attacking with their head jabs. And then it becomes very difficult for them to activate Fi's ability efficiently. Arctic Incarceration can be the difference between you winning a game and losing the game against Fi as Icelander, and having one extra turn can mean the difference between you winning and losing a game. I think this card should go way earlier, and if you are if you know you're Icelander, and because there's typically more Fi's on a pod than other heroes, I think you need to pick this card very highly before the other Icelanders can pick it up. I think it's a good card. I think... It is underval. It is a bit undervalued right now, so it is an overperformer. But I think also keep in mind it really is for that Fi matchup. It doesn't have much application into Dromai or Icelander. And I think given how popular Fi is, like you want to prioritize making sure you have a good sideboard for Fi, you're 
you know, five, it's often three or four. He's like roughly half of what you're going to be facing. Um, so you, you definitely want to have a plan for it, but just keep in mind that it's not a live card against the other decks. So like one or two is, is probably good. Oh yeah. You definitely don't want three. If you have three, you have, unless you have 45 Iceander cards or sorry, not even 45. There's no 45 cards. Uh, you can draft 42. Yeah. 42. Yeah. If you have 42 playable cards, then I guess you can have three. If you don't have enough playables and you're having to have to play a red Arctic Incarceration against the Icelander Mirror or something like that, that could easily cost you the match. Uh, so next card on this list, or the last card on this list, is uh, Strategic Planning. I wrote this down at exactly blue. So the sick part about this card is not even just for Icelander. Like Pretty clearly, Strategic Planning is good in Icelander, uh, mostly at blue, because it costs one... It does, it combos well with Waning Moon, and then you get the bottom deck, uh, like the Fi's Phoenix Flame. If they're only playing one, they basically don't get access to it anymore. But I think this card is good in Fi and Dromai as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just super solid blue. And I mean, I think part of it is that there's just not very many good generics in this set that you're happy to pick, besides like the poppers. Um, at least early, like Oasis later is okay. But I feel like these blues, Strategic Planning, Blue Sift, and Blue Critical Strike are just such nice cards to pick around like pick three, four, five-ish, where maybe you want a little bit of flexibility in your draft. And it's just like, well, I can just get this blue, which I'm going to need. And this is just like a premium one that blocks for three. And it's just always going to make my deck better no matter what. So if you're kind of like, not exactly sure what deck you should be in. Sometimes just having the flexibility to just be like, I'm just going to take a wild card is is really, really strong. Okay, let's move on to the underperformers. So these cards are what we thought would be very powerful, but then ended up being a lot worse. Or in some of these cards' case, I just stopped picking these cards over like altogether. The first card on the list is Aether, <sighs> Aether Ice Vein. Why did you put this card on the list, Yugi? I thought you loved this card. I do still really like the card. I do still think it's good. I feel like people have been kind of hotter on Oasis Respite lately. And playing into this card and it getting Oasis can be pretty game losing. So I, I like having the effect. I think it's good. But I think you also have to be careful about thinking about when you want to resolve it because it's just such a big commitment like it's basically always a three card hand um or you arsenal it so you miss a round of arsenal and then it's a two card hand um that part's kind of kind of rough and you need i think the other thing is that you need ice blues ideally in order to be able to fuse so that you can then arsenal that card that you that you used so I think because it specifically has to be Ice Blues and people value Ice Blues more, it kind of makes Aether Ice Vein not as good because you have this like bottleneck of like you can have like five Aether Ice Veins and then like four Ice Blues and your deck is just not very strong because you can't fuse it reliably. Yeah, I think this is an underperformer now mostly because people is has figured out more on how to pl- how to draft Icelander better. So when you are sharing pools with like two Icelanders in your pool or even three uh both of you are now fighting for Aether Ice Fades and Blue Ice Cards which then makes it thinner when it was earlier in the format when people had 
a little bit less idea of what they what Icelander wanted. You had a little bit more time to get the either ice veins or blue ice cards. And I think now that people know how, it's just a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Next card on the list is Flame Call Awakening. This card is the Draconic card that attacks for 3 with Go again. And if you've played a, another red card this turn, you can find a Phoenix Flame to your hand. This is like one of the, what people consider one of the premium uh, starters for Fi or mid-turn cards. Yeah, mid-turn. Why is this card an underperformer? I think it's just, it's okay. Like it's, it can be quite powerful and I would still pick it and put it in my deck. But I just think that there's better cards. Like I think like the head jabs are better. I think even the leg taps are better. I think what's awkward about Flame Call is just that it's a one for three, which is below rate, unless you do the thing where you get the Phoenix Flame back, because um, you have like specifically you kind of need a zero cost starter, right? So you can go zero cost starter, Flame Call, Ember Blade. If it's a one cost starter, it doesn't work. The zero cost starters are harder and harder to come by. It just kind of makes it hard to get your Flame Call Awakening off, and even when you do, it's just on rate so if it was just a leg tap it would just always be on um i know that like there's some extra shenanigans with phoenix flame like it being hard to block and heat wave and and things like that do matter but it's it's marginal upside i think yeah i think for me personally flame call awakening like once you pick it and once you have it in your pool you're really incentivized to play around it and when you can't or when it fails to build around it then the card just like underperforms quite a bit and i tend to stay away from it unless like it's clearly open or that's the thing that you should be doing like getting past multiple flame call awakenings or getting past um you know cards that care like rise from the ashes okay let's move on to our third card it's transmogrify i'm gonna say it right now i hate this card i never pick it anymore like i I picked it, I think, once or twice earlier in the format because I thought it would be, like, pretty strong by, like, turning your blue... What's it called? Sift? No, not Sift. Uh, dust Up? Not Dust Up. The one that gives Ash. Uh, Sweeping Yes. So, I hated this card because... I thought it would make, like, it would be a good combo with, like, sweeping blows, making a blue sweeping blows attack for a lot more, making people respect it, blah, blah, blah. But the card just doesn't do anything, and it blocks for two. So, like, you're, like, essentially forced to play this card aggressively, even on turns where you can't really afford to play aggressively. And then it all it does is it makes your marginal cards a little bit better, and it doesn't actually, like make it broken so like it's almost not worth it you having to play like you're getting forced you're essentially like it's that card forces you to play in a way in a specific way and that doesn't always favor you and that's why i don't like this card yeah i agree um the red i'd have to be desperate for starters to even consider this card really prefer not to um, it just always demands you to have a three-card hand as well, right? Like, you need a pitch for this, play the attack, and it has to be an attack that works with it or else you don't get value. So there's just, like, a lot of things that it asks of you, and it doesn't block very well. Um, I'm okay with playing the blue because a niche effect on a blue is a little more powerful since you can just pitch it away. 
that being said, um, I'm still valuing any blue three block over this. I would just say it's like probably like a slightly better one of the two blocks. Like it's better than like trade in for sure. It's better than sand cover blue. Yeah, exactly. It's better than like blue oasis. Like like it, it's not bad. You could do a lot worse than it, but but any of the three blocks are just better because Dromai often needs to be able to block and draw out the game. I think if you're in Dromai and you have to be you, and you're in a spot where you're forced to play Transmorphagai, you've you've either navigated the draft poorly or you're you're in a bad spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I agree. Uh, the last card I already talked about a little bit is Rise from the Ashes. I stopped picking this card like entirely, like the red one as well. Like I just do not play this card anymore. Um, this actually comes from like it's not, it's not like I hate this card. When this card is good, it's definitely really strong. But I've stayed or I've tried to move away from cards like Flame Call Awakening, Rise from the Ashes because it essentially forces you to add a Phoenix Flame into your deck. I think I'm scarred from the the times where I'm playing the Fymir and I draw the Phoenix Flame and it doesn't block and I lose. Like I just I just don't want that to ever happen and whenever you draw the Phoenix Flame you have to like what can you do with it? You have to either pitch it and it just doesn't generate you enough mana. Sorry, resources or you attack with it and you have to pop your heat wave and attacks for two, like, like you you needed to have this equipment for your heat wave to have even like the power level of a random blue or a random yellow. I, I'm saying this really bad, but this this card essentially forces you to build your deck in a way that is not favorable for you, and then. Which is why I just stay away from this card overall. Like maybe if this card give like plus five to your next attack, then it might be worth it. But it just doesn't do that. It's just comparable to any other starter. And I think the fact that it doesn't give you a chain link is pretty bad. Like if you only have the Phoenix Flame in your discard, sometimes you can like do a thing where you close the chain and then open the chain again and then get the Phoenix Flame back again. But like usually you can't. Whenever you can't. If you don't have another Phoenix Flame, that's just a damage you're missing out on. So the red one is like a two for zero, which is what a yellow head jab does, but it doesn't pitch yellow. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just like one under rate unless you have a second Phoenix Flame. And even then it's just like solid. Okay. Uh, any other underperformers off the top of your head? I think that's all I can think of. Um, those are the big ones, at least. Are there any for you? No, no, I think I think these are it. I think all, almost all the other cards are like fairly properly rated. Um, I just think that mostly the rise is uh really like basically when I'm looking at packs for like as the five drafter, I tend to realize that rise from the ashes are missing from packs or like they're not coming around. And I think people are just overvaluing this card just a little bit too much right now. Okay, let's move on to uh, how we approach the Uprising draft. Did you want to start, Yuki? Sure. So I feel like at the start of the draft, you should be picking powerful cards. I think that um, the good cards in Uprising are just so much better than the other ones, and you you really want to prioritize getting those early. Um, usually I like to start in Iceland or Dromai, Um 
but if I am in Dromai, I want to kind of hedge. Uh, and I, even in Icelander, I'll often kind of hedge, so I might pick like two Icelander cards, a Dromai card, and a generic, and then I'm like, I kind of have some, I kind of have some options. Um, so somewhere in those first four cards, I'll try and take like a nice, a nice blue three block or something, and then and then just have some options from there. And then usually you can pivot to Fi around then if it becomes clear that you really should be Fi and it's open. So I, I kind of. I've been liking where that winds me, uh, lands me. I just have to remember not to commit too hard to draw my. Okay, but when's the last time you drafted Phi? Maybe like, like number of drafts, not 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 time frame, because people people won't yeah, understand yeah, yeah. time frame. No, I'm thinking like seven drafts. What yeah. what, what what is that like? At did you draft Phi at nationals or was it before that? No, it was before that. <laughs> so like, you're not. You're not drafting Phi ever anymore, essentially. I mean, occasionally I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going into the way I approach uh, the draft format, it's quite a bit different from how Yuki does it. Uh, I'm typically looking out for premium Phi cards, pack one, pick one. I'm talking Red Anger, just the Red Head Jabs, um, Sasha Sandakai, and the shoes, the Ninja Shoes. I'm not sure what it's called, but the Ninja Shoes. Or Lava Burst. That's the that's the fifth card. If I don't see any of those cards, and then I'm picking up an Icelander or Dromai card. Um, because I don't want to fight for Fi for the non-premium cards. I definitely, definitely want to prioritize trying to get into like a broken Fi deck if possible. Even if I pick a premium Fi cards, I'm still going to be looking for the premium equipment for the other classes in the first four picks. So if I get like a premium fire card and then I get past something like a Spellfire Cloak or a Silken Form, that might be enough for me to start to move away from Fi even just with one of those two cards. Because decks, like Icelander decks with a Spellfire Cloak or a Dromai deck with a Silken Form, they're just way, way more powerful than what anything else you can do in this format, at least in my opinion. So that's what I'm looking out for. Otherwise, I'm basically going to be on Fi. Um, and like, if I get lucky and open up a Spellfire Cloak, pack one, pick one, that's my signal. That's my signal to go in, you know? But uh, not a signal. Just, you know, I'm going to force it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I also agree that Dromai and Icelander tend to be the more powerful decks um, when they come together at their ceiling. And I think that's probably why I bias towards them a little bit. I do feel like... I feel like Phi is very, very good and very consistent, but um, I do feel like he can kind of struggle into Icelander sometimes, even with a good deck. And because of that, I tend to favor not picking him. But you I just think need he's to pick. Fine. You just need to pick twelve blues. Just make sure you have the four sideboard blues against Icelander. Yeah, I guess maybe if I forced Phi, I would have more blues in my sideboard. Exactly. You gotta pick Cinderskin Devotion Blue higher. True, true. <laughs> okay. Uh, and before we move on, uh, I just want to talk about something we talked about in the car... What was it? The Saturday after the drafts uh, we did. We were talking about Singe versus Aetherdart in exactly Icelander. And I thought this conversation was like pretty interesting. Like, 
I am definitely on the singe singe train. Like I want singe blue singe in my deck, like over blue aether dart. And then Yuki was like, no, aether dart blue is significantly better than singe blue, or not significantly, but marginally better. I think is what she said. Yeah, I think that's true. But like singe does one more damage, right? Like if you want to try and pop a draw my dragon, like you pop an Ashwing, you do one damage, you can win him for three. It's just like so much cleaner with your resources if you're pitching a blue or if you have a deck that can pitch a blue every turn yeah i guess i feel like a lot of times when you play against dromai if they're attacking you with ash wings they often have cards in hand and so the one damage ends up not mattering because they're able to pitch and stop it in your moon anyways. Like, like They're like holding two cards, and you're like, I don't really want to spend a whole card to, wane, to the waning moon and do this for one and like maybe trip you one damage if I'm lucky. So I think just like having Aether Dart as an option to just kill an Ashwing and then end their turn, because like often, yeah, they're, they're the ones that have momentum when they're attacking you, and, and when they don't, like you don't need to pop it because they don't have go again or something, and they're just like sending an Ashwing in. You don't really care. But isn't the one damage like real? Like in in the Droma Icelander matchup, you're gonna be playing games where like basically every point matters. Droma is really good at putting up arcane barrier. And like when you get to cinch them, that like it gets rid of their arcane barrier. And isn't that the turd you want a waiting moon? Is when they don't have ash wings. I guess I think that my opponent often ends up getting a bunch of Ashwings anyways. Oh, so you're, you're, you're assuming that they have, like, multiple Ashwings anyways. I, I feel like they usually do. Mm. Like, I just don't like putting that much work in man- into managing them. Okay. I guess my question would be, like, when you play the Drobi matchup as Icelander, do you not prioritize getting rid of all the Ashwings? Not really. Okay. I think the way that I play, like, I would attack an Ashwing with Brother in Arms. Like, whoa, no way. Yeah, like that's just what I do all the time. Like, that's that's like exact opposite of me. So, I will kill Ashwings if it's like a Singe, or it's a very very low damage spell. Or if I have like a blue in Arsenal, I'll probably kill an Ashwing with the blue because it's just very efficient to do so, and then I still get a Waning Moon them, but. Other than that, I'm choosing to just uh, pressure, pressure face. And basically what I find is that if you just hit them really hard on your turn, like you hit them for like like an ice bolt and a waning moon for seven, and then you just go to their turn and you get to, I don't know, four them or something, and they just they don't have 11 pitch in, in their hand and, and they can't stop at all. So they're just sitting there doing nothing but pitching to you, and then they take like five damage every turn two turns turn cycles or so so that's kind of how i've been winning the matchup if, if they block the way that i've been playing the matchup is i just make sure they don't have any ash rings on the board because that's typically the way that they can stop your red like ice veins or like frost bolts like they're bigger the bigger red spells basically if they have like four ash rings and they can just a b4 a b5 it so I tend to clear all the Ashwings as soon as possible and then put in like four or five Waning Moons at their face and basically make them in these really awkward spots where they could like pitch a red and prevent one of it 
and then take the two, or they could pitch a blue and prevent one of it and take two still. So, like, they have to commit one card each time they want to prevent one arcane. And I don't really give them an opportunity to, like, if they pitch the blue for their AB1, I don't really give them the opportunity to use their floating resources on that same turn. I try to, like, divide it in the, the most awkward way possible so they can't prevent or use their resources efficiently. Right. So, like, I would commonly, like, you know, like, if they have one Ashwing left and, like, my hand is brother-in-arms, just, it's 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 going at that little dragon, you know? Like, I'm, I'm killing that dragon, arsenaling a blue, and I'm going to Waiting Boon the next turn. And, like, if they want to prevent it, they have to, they have to do something, you know? Like, if they don't want, if they don't want to AB1 it, like, I, I'm, I, it's like, that. that's how I approach that matchup. So, yeah, I guess we approach that matchup very differently. Apparently, yeah. I'll deal with the dragons, but typically I won't deal with the Ashwings aside from my blues. I want to just be hyper efficient because like, I feel like you can get fatigued if they're good at pressuring you. Do you know what's really funny though? What? I just ignore big dragons. Like they play a Necria, that Necria is going to hit me four times. That's wild. The dragon can just solo you. I feel like you have to deal with it. Yeah, but if they don't have Ashwings, they can't AB1 you fascinating we we approach the metric completely differently i kill them all the time but i usually have a bunch of big red spells so i'm just like okay and if i can't kill it efficiently i'll just um i'll just um freeze it and then deal with it next turn oh i do i do freeze big dragons a lot i think the uh is it the helmet that does it yeah it's the helmet yeah. that does it yeah i think the helmet's very good in the dromai dromai icelander matchup and when you get to f- freeze a big dragon for one turn uh, oh it feels so good but yeah, I think I think Kyloria is the only one that I typically deal with, just because like the on hit's so good at generating and, value. Temai, surely. Temai. Oh yes, yes. Temai. Temai has to die. Temai. Yeah. Temai is. <laughs> Temai is not fair. Okay, that card is just not fair. Like, how's yeah. that card fair? Like, it says Icelander don't get to play. Well, that's why I draft all the big reds, so I can just kill it. That's why you like blue brother in arms. It just kills them eyes. Sometimes you have a hand of all blues, and you're just like, oh, sweet. I'm glad you spent two cards to attack me for three. I'll kill it. Oh, wow. Oh. I'm in the... Uh, the the way that I build Ice Center decks, if my opponent plays a Themai, I'm just like praying to God I draw one of my four damage spells. And a lot of the time, I just don't, and I lose. Yeah, it sounds like a very different approach. Very interesting. Okay, well, let's move on to our the takes, the hot takes on this format. Not even hot takes, just regular takes. Do you want to just take turns reading it out? Sure, yeah. The The idea here is just to kind of summarize the format for you. Maybe it's been a little bit since you last drafted it and you want a bit of a refresher. Um, these takes just are sort of like some some key points to keep in mind when you're, when you're going to your next draft. Um, so our first take is... In general, you should go second if you win the dice roll. Um, I think you need a really good reason to want to go first, and I think the only place where it gets pretty interesting is um, in like the Icelander mirror, I suppose, or like arguably like versus Dromai, but I, I still like going second against Dromai, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. Just go second. There's almost no exception. Just go second. You can't go wrong. Even in the Icelander mirror, if you go second, you're not doing... Like, you're not doing that much of a disfavor to yourself. I think the one big exception would be if I don't have um, if I don't have AB in the mirror, I'm probably a little more incentivized to go first just because you can take so much damage. Like, 
you can pitch into miter, but you don't get a stock that much. So think in that situation, I like going first. But Our second point is starting all in on Dromai is a trap. Just we reviewed, what was his name? Matt Rogers? Yeah, Matt Rogers. Matt Rogers draft and his uh, all-in strategy on Dromai worked, but this is most definitely a trap. Yeah, I I think there's some validity to this strategy, um, clearly. Like, Matt Rogers is a very good player, but I've tried doing this in spots where I had, like, a really good Dromai start, like, not even forcing it. Like, I, I guess sort of forcing, but forcing it for good, like, premium cards, but then just getting cut. Uh, and you know just like starting with like four dromai cards like i had like a a chromai a mirror guy a rake the embers and a dust up or something and then next pack there's just zero dromai cards in the pack and it's like oh i just can't draft this so i think that just the fact that like even if there's just like one player passing to you that's forcing or doing the same thing or it's just in dromai like you can be in a really 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 bad spot and um, Dromai is particularly vulnerable to that because she's so thin. So I think you can pick some Dromai cards, but you want to make sure that you're hedging and you have options to go something else if it doesn't work out. Next one. Oh, sure. You should prioritize power level in your early picks. So I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I think that the powerful cards in this format are just few and far between and and you really want them so those like blaze headlongs that are just worth one extra point are just they matter so much in this format and um, you should be trying to make sure that you are prioritizing your premium picks on those cards because i think they're very highly contested um this could be like your spellfire cloak or your sasha zendikai or etc like i would just take a card regardless of whether it goes with your other cards just make sure you're picking powerful cards. If you want to solidify in a hero early, you can, but make sure that you're not doing it for mediocre cards. Make sure they're at least on power level. Yeah, just a lot of the cards in general in this set are very similar to each other. Like Frosting and Aether Dart is basically the same card. The, you know, the Searing Strike and the the Leg Tap, the other one that I don't know the name of with no text, they're basically the same card. All of the Head Jabs are all the same card. Dromai has a little bit of a difference, but like they all have the same rate. Uh, so whenever a card has higher rate, it's a good time to like pick them up, and you're you're gonna get all the replacement level cards all like just throughout the pack, anyways. So number four is uh next point: make sure you won't be burning more than three picks when you pivot. So this is just simply. Do not pivot too late, right? If you're going to pivot, you have to make sure you can do it early enough. Once you burn more than three picks, so like four or five cards, you're going to run out of playables. Simple math is uh, you end up with 42 cards. If you pivot too late with like five cards deep, you only have 37 cards to play with. And then if like two or three of those picks are your equipment slot, you're just not going to have enough playables. You're going to end up with a crack bubble in your deck and you really just want to avoid that spot. So you really can't afford to throw away four picks, five picks. Uh, mostly if when your 14th card in each pack might be a dud. It might just be for a different class. You can't control that last card. Make sure if you pivot, pivot early. I think that's why Dromai is kind of like the most scary to start as because 
Dromai just like you can't like you can't pivot out of it early, and the good Dromai cards are Dromai cards. Like they, she doesn't have as much flexibility with like generics, or she doesn't have as deep a five uh, card pool as Fi. So if you do get cut off um, and you try to pivot, you're just no, never going to have anywhere near enough playables. And um, but yeah, just even even past like the four cards, like I had to pivot. I did this recently. I've started four four draw my cards, pivot to Icelander because it was exceedingly open. I got cut. Yeah, e- even though I got cut and I made the correct call, I ended up playing like two. Um, what is that card? Two red read the ripples in my deck because I only had exactly thirty cards and it was that or a bobble. So, um, and every time I drew them, I was just like, "Wow, this card is really bad." Like I just have to do a two block like it's like a force two block there's nothing else the card does so next point is uh spell fire cloak and sash of sandakai are some of the best cards in the set i don't know what else to say about this they are just the best cards in the set pick them early and often and if somebody passes you snap it up if you start with one and somebody passes you the second one just just draft the second one and then you know no matter what you're set like it's it's great and the next point Cyborg cards for specific matchups are premium. You want to go into it? Yeah, so I think that I think that basically in Uprising, your strategy needs to shift depending on what hero you're playing against. Maybe even more so than Tales of Aria. Like I think I think Flesh and Blood in general is a little bit like this for sure. But I think that um, Uprising even more so because like if you think about like. I think it's just like the cards that are good in a matchup are like not necessarily good everywhere. And so if you take the example of like, um, we talked about, for example, like Red Singe. Well, we didn't talk about the red so much, but if you think of like Red Singe, you can play a Red Singe and kill three Ashwings and that's fantastic. But if you're playing it into Fi or Icelander, it's it's just a horrible card. And same thing with Arctic Incarceration. Very, very effective against Fi, um, but in the Icelander mirror, it doesn't really do anything because they can play at instant speed if they want to. And against Dromai, you're often trying to kill them, not slow them down. So it's not exactly what you want to be doing there either. So, and a lot of the sideboard cards are kind of like this, like hyper specific. And so you don't want to have to, you don't want to have to play them and making sure you, but they're, they're also important. So make sure you have access to them. Okay. Uh, I want to add on to this, but I'm going to add it on to, to it with the next take, which is three blocks are premium. And the reason I say I want to add on to the sideboarding cards uh, for specific matchups is because three blocks are premium. And when you're playing against Fi, they're even more premium. So even if they're like a bad card uh, in like a bad generic, like not even a bad generic, we, we, we say these cards are overperformers. We're talking about blue sift, blue critical strike, uh, even the yellow sift, yellow critical strikes. These cards get really, really more. Um, not really, really, just like more important in the five matchup where the three blocks going to matter so much. And it's going to be the difference between you being able to win and lo- win or lose the game. And that's just because Ember Blade attacks for three. And then you always have a place to put your three block at. And this is going to be very important in this matchup or in this game because five is just the most popular hero drafted in uprising uh in the uprising format and when you have three blocks against the most popular deck that's just like you need at least this to be able to beat that matchup 
I think is what I want to say. Phi just so quickly gets you to life total where you have to block that you need to be able to protect it so that you get more than like one or two turns. And because that's the case, you really have to be able to block as the other decks. Um, otherwise, you're just in so much trouble. So uh, yeah, I think the three blocks are super important. And then even in the mirror, as we know, like going second is quite nice. And you know you can really get ahead early and it can be swingy but the three blocks do help you navigate that and maybe sometimes like even if you do have to go first you can kind of block soak soak up enough damage and then you know get in and and can catch up okay and the last point is life total matters this is not not just for five but in every matchup life total is going to matter you need to make sure you manage your life total or you're gonna get into a spot where you, when you don't, if you don't really keep track of like making sure your life total is high, you're gonna get in a spot where you're like, oh, I need to block. Oh, my blocks are super inefficient. Wow, wow, my turn's just really bad. Ah, oh, now I give my opponent a four card hand and it's gonna come at me for like, you know, if it's five, it can come out for me for fourteen and then I'm gonna lose. Or if it's Icelander, it's gonna be like seven arcane or something and I'm gonna lose. Yeah, like you just need to make sure you manage your life total and be very conscious about where you are and where your opponent's at in this format. I agree with all of that. I think the decks in this format are all just so good at being explosive and I guess Icelander at being kind of evasive and forcing damage through. They they also they're all basically able to make you take damage even if you do nothing but block. And because of that when you get low like you're just kind of in danger and because they can push damage so consistently, you're just going to have to keep blocking and blocking and blocking and you'll slowly leak damage and lose. So like even Dromai with, um, you know, like a red sweeping blow into red Ember Maw, three cards for 11 damage. Um, you know, if you let yourself get down to like eight, you're going to have to block with two cards. Like you just are, and if they have a dragon in there, it gets even worse. Like I, I think I did this to a Fi. I had a, I had a Necria out, and then it's just like, oh, you didn't kill my Necria. Okay, keep three cards, three, four, eight. Um, you know, you're just pushing fifteen damage at them, and it's it's just out of control. So you you really need to make sure you stay out of range for as long as you can, and uh, give yourself time to, you know, be able to enact your game plan before you have to block. Okay, and that was our last take. Uh, if you think there's anything else that you guys want to add, like the listeners, just comment down below. I think there may be some things we missed about the format or... Yeah, but I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, hopefully a good refresher for anybody, you know, who maybe hasn't drafted in a while or is going to world soon. Um, just some of our thoughts on the format and kind of where we're at with it right now. Um, I do kind of want to mention... Our episode next week, I think, will be a fun one. Um, we're hoping to get some draft footage of a. Uh, we're going to be doing like a bit of a draft camp, so we're hoping to get a bit of draft footage of one of us drafting, hopefully, and um, kind of go through that and break down those drafts with you. So I think that will be a you know an interesting episode, hopefully, for a lot of you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah. Do you want to just close out the episode? Yeah.
So as always, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please reach out to our show in the comments section on our most recent YouTube video. Any of your comments or questions really, really do help us. Um, really appreciate that. And you can also submit your questions uh, to me on Twitter at UKLeeBender, or you can email onthebobble at gmail.com to get in touch with Jay. And so yeah, anytime you want to get back to the show by giving us like any feedback or comments or any kind of interaction like that. It really just does mean a lot to us. So. Okay. Sign off. Oh, I took your sign off. (laughs) It's all good. Uh, We'll still talk about it a little bit more. We are gonna, as uh, Yuki mentioned, uh, I host, or I'm going to host a all day draft for uprising to prepare for worlds uh hopefully i can get in like four drafts five drafts if you know cross my fingers if people are willing uh, or you know play fast enough and stuff like that just want to talk about the format that um we're gonna use uh this is this comes like directly from like grinding magic back in the day um but team money uh team money drafts yeah that's what it's called team money drafts uh, essentially what it is is each player uh, puts up 10 or 20 bucks we're, we're doing like a modified team money draft but so each person puts up uh, about 5, 10, 20 depends on the stakes we're going to play but after the draft uh, portion is over we're going to separate into two random teams uh, we're not going to be doing like the we're not going to make the teams before just so then like people won't have incentive to like you know excessively cut each other uh it'll be i want to simulate like a regular draft essentially and then we're going to separate into two teams and when we separate into two teams what's really important about this step is that now everyone on the team has incentive to help each other basically build the best deck possible with the cards they built and then this gives enough time to like you know, make a discussion on like, how do you build this? How do you think? What do you think? Oh, what's my 30th card? Um, are you sure? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of just that whole discussion portion is going to be important. And you just don't have this at like a regular draft where you're talking with like your peers, essentially of like, how do I make my deck better, better with the cards I drafted? And I think it's just like an important step at getting better at, at draft and um mm-hmm. you know and being able to do four or five drafts in a day mm, chef's kiss is so good like it's yeah oh i'm so excited for this weekend yeah it, it it's always a lot of fun and i think what you'll find is when you play for like a little bit of money and you have um you have the the, the team environment like just that incentive to you the being really invested and your whole team doing well means people are like really paying attention to the matches. You often end up talking about them. You talk about the deck, the deck building, like Jay said. And, um, you know, even though sometimes those players might help you out, um, at a, at a draft or whatever, it's, it's, it's a little bit different when they're kind of so directly invested and kind of like also almost part of the process rather than just, you know, two minutes between rounds. Oh yeah, this looks okay, but don't really have time to like lay it out and give you like a full discussion. Yeah. I think uh, if you really are going to like go to worlds doing something like this, where you can gather a bunch of people 
Yeah, I think all four of us from Vancouver that's going to Worlds is going to be there, right? Yeah, I think they are. Ian, Clay, mm-hmm. yourself, and myself. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then we just got uh, four other guys from our local area uh, that was just willing to draft all day. Uh, and honestly, like skill level doesn't really matter in these things because it is a team draft. You can get carried. You can go O three. You can have your team help you build your decks. Like even if you don't think you quote unquote deserve to be there, or you don't think it's um like you you, you if you think you're like not as good as all the other people and like but you want to still get involved, you should definitely get involved. Like, players like us, we're definitely looking for more people to draft with. It's hard to get people to draft with. Like, this game is still quite small. So, getting eight people for all day, very hard. So, even if you're even a little bit interested, you should go and talk to, like, the top players in your area. And if they're even hosting or even thinking about doing something like this, and show your interest. And if you do, they might be, like, was maybe they were looking for someone that was, like, willing to draft for like seven hours nine hours you know have a good lunch or dinner or blah 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 like it's a good good way to improve the game and make new friends yeah that's all i have to say i feel like i had something but i can't uh <laughs> nothing uh, okay we can just close it out then <laughs> okay all right good night everyone thanks for watching i say watching i should say listening anyway that's fine Next time. It's in it this time then.